Hey everybody, before we start the episode, I just wanted to give a shout out to a new podcast I started listening to called Upper Middle Brow. Our two hosts, Jesse and Chris, do deep dives into influential books. Their first couple episodes go into Snow Crash, which is, of course, something that's been very influential on my side of the podcast range. With each episode being just a little over an hour, they make for quick listening and a fun dissection of a lot of books that I've already read or ones that maybe it's been a while since I have reread. Give them a listen. They are upper middle brow. All right. Thanks. And now to a giant pile of lore. Hey everyone, it's me, the narrator guy you hear all the time, Jeff. Uh, I am joined by one of my longest friends and our big campaign historian, Marshall. Hello. This is going to be kind of a bigger world-building episode. As requested by the awesome Chappie from the Clash of Crits podcast, uh, we're going to go into basically every campaign that led up to this one. So that's a big campaign, one through seven? Mm Mm-hmm. So we started playing, I think, in about 2001. A little, a uh, little, uh, to, not to um, actually you, but uh, <laughs> I believe it was the spring break 2002, right after I graduated. Okay. <laughs> no, not that it's that big of a difference, but. Is that when I took over or is that uh, when Joe started? I believe that's when we actually, no, you're right. Because um, 2001 would be Joe and then Jason would have been 2000 that spring break when we first started at that point when i started to take over i'd only played two characters a human wizard named salthus this is back in 3.0 as well as fez morningthorn a halfling rogue we ended up calling it big campaign because at the time all of us were starting to play DD, so everybody had made games whenever we could together we played the big campaign Uh, but if you couldn't then everybody could just split off into whatever games were happening at the moment at least that's how I recall it. Yeah, it was to be uh, if if we couldn't get everybody together, it's like let's make John play his game. So yeah, then to start with Big Campaign One, referred to as the Deific Era, we had elves and dwarves. It was your standard fantasy game set in 3.0. It was on based on the island of Farthen, uh, which you have heard of Farthen Valley. That's where the Delam Corporation is based out of. As the game went on and the players got more powerful. I started wandering into some planar stuff before settling on some of the bigger themes. We started on the island of the Farland, and as the game went on, the world started growing around us, basically getting in more in-depth um, world building. Yeah, Marshall at this time was playing Victor Sidlow, uh, our half-elf fighter. He wielded an unusually large sword, um, as we had just watched Berserk. <laughs> As the world kept expanding and as we started adding in planes and more things, um, kind of revealed to the players that the Elder Gods, the ones above the standard Corellian, Moradin, all that, had used the material plane as a prison for all sorts of things that they didn't want to deal with anymore. The plane of Ovanus, as it were. Eventually, the players were able to contact 
powerful planar avatars of various energy types called the Levat. This game went from level one to about level 30, if I recall. I think it was, yeah. I think we stopped at 30 or 31. Yeah, it was, it definitely went high. We, we obtained godhood at one point. Yeah. So I got to use a lot of cool monsters, got to have them fight gods. Uh, and then I got to make up new monsters because the players were just too cool for me to deal with from the standard books. We, uh, we, we learned how to build characters pretty good. I think one of my favorite fights was when they fought the storm god Talos, but none of them had known they were fighting a god when they were recruited by the ranger to go to the plains of Pandemonium to fight this storm war god. Uh, I think it was around once they'd broken about a thousand damage that the players started to guess what was happening. Yeah, I remember getting nervous at that point. <laughs> he, he didn't seem to be tiring, and we were we were getting at the end of our resources. It was a very fun fight. Nothing like being hit with a javelin that does 1d8 plus 52. Yeah. <laughs> but we ended that campaign with the banishment of the bishop with the annulus, the bishop being one of these elder gods, as well as forming the plane that the players are now on in Big Campaign 7, Zalanus. The powerful wizard of the time, uh, Brecken Ferentane, was able to use an epic spell that bound all the planes together with a massive world tree, tying the ley lines to the Levat and the pillars that they are from, binding the world together. I think that covers BC1 pretty well. Yeah, that, that covers the big swings. Players in this one that you all would know would be John, Sean, and Jesse. Uh, we're all part of this game 22 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> along with, I want to say, eight other people throughout the whole game. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, hence the name Big Campaign, because we were, we were all there. <laughs> On to Big Campaign 2? The Zeldoric era. This game ran a bit shorter than our usual ones. Um, I wanted to go into the themes of the planes that had been combined, and the corrupting influence of an Elder God that was banished to the Far Realm, no longer part of the pantheon of the Elder God they dealt with in the first one. This game is where I brought psionics into it um, and started using more of the varied races. So tieflings, warforged, variant elves, and whatnot. A lot of this is because 3.5 had finally come out, and there was a lot of cool books and a lot of cool info, so we just kind of incorporated all of it. This was also the first time you made uh, uh, two different groups uh, playing not together as one big um, oh, yeah. game of eight. It was smaller groups of five or Yeah. Four. Okay, yeah, hey, I remember that now. <laughs> a lot of really cool stories happened from that one. This game also still had John and Sean and Jesse in it, um, as well as, I think, five or six others. Yeah, uh, we had a few uh, one-off characters, too, that came through for a few episodes here or there, trying to get their uh, footing in D&D. That's right, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of uh, new learning players, which was fun. Eventually, that game came to its end through the massive city that was kind of uniting the plane, New Rodale, was lost to Eldric monstrosities that destroyed that unifying capital. The game also didn't fully finish, uh, because in real life, I wanted to go on an adventure. Uh, so I took off and wandered around for a couple of years through Europe and some other places. But while out and about traveling, I did spend a lot of time in my sketch pad drawing up the houses and races and things I wanted to incorporate into the third campaign. Flushing out the world and incorporating the changes to the world as the several hundred years of uh, 
change between each campaign setting. And Marshall in this one, I believe, played Sarabek Magellan, an air sorcerer? Yeah, he was. He, he started out as a bard, and as the campaigns go, characters just kind of grow and change with with what happens around them. And uh, yeah, he became a, a air sorcerer, pirate? flying <laughs> pirate, <laughs> basically. Um, but that's when we had the um, uh, the champions of the Levat. So the, the some of the players took on Levat powers. Mm, that's right. Yes. Yeah. With the there was a lot of uh, elemental themes in this one. And this one's also where I started to really get into uh, homebrew design as well, because I do remember making prestige classes for people specifically to go into that aligned a little bit more with what they wanted to do. Yes, I remember that, especially when uh, some of us got the Lodavot powers. Those were more tailored classes as well, um, or like myself and John with being the Fire Lodavot for him. Yep, okay. All right, I think that's all about two, unless there's anything else we're forgetting. Um, no, those were the big swaths. Um, we did at the end of two have a return of our characters from Big Campaign One to kind of do some uh, monstrosity cleanup, mm. uh, which was which was fun to revisit those characters again. Oh, you know what? You know what we should do real quick since you're here with us, Marshall. Yeah. What was your favorite victor moment in Big Campaign One? Oh, there's a lot of good ones. I can't decide if it was the the Great Cleave in the Astral Plane, where you just kind of go 360 cube and get, how many people was that? Like 27 guys? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he was just surrounded. Or when he stabbed a guy with his own bastard sword while he was holding it? No, that one's kind of brutal. <laughs> that Mind Flayer deserved it. <laughs> he did. Oh, the big one was the uh, the cracking of Demozane. Yeah, that was that was a really awesome moment. So I had made and kind of adapted a monster that was made to be a planar cleanser, a massive immune to magic, giant, living, sentient black hole. The creature I'd kind of borrowed from was a construct created by the gods to do that. It was really tough. It, it, because it was a black hole, it was basically immune to ranged attacks. Being made out of a strange material, it was immune to magic. The players were mostly at wit's end before Marshall decided to jump on the black hole. I uh, I, I wanted to see if I could break it, because there was a, a thing called, uh, you could do a break check um, with strength back then. And he had taken the epic prestige class, the legendary Dreadnought, which lets you add plus 20 to any strength check on top of being a fighter barbarian yep. with defeats destructive rage to add plus eight to your break checks and being level 24 25 at the time yeah i think victor is pushing something around 30 some odd strength so yeah i think that's about right anyways to the surprise of everyone at the table including myself uh victor jumped on the sentient black hole and asked to roll a break check i said yes uh while double checking my monster stats i did have a break dc which was 56 <laughs> and Victor passed. <laughs> <laughs> when I was rolling, I didn't have a lot of hope, but I knew if if it worked, we'd be we'd be out of the situation. You just gotta gotta pray. <laughs> I think I remember describing it as tearing a jawbreaker in half. Yes, that stands out vividly to me. Tearing a jawbreaker in half. But yeah, so then I'll do this now for each of the eras. So the Zeldoric era. What was your favorite moment with Sarabek Magellan? 
Oh, my favorite moment with Sarah Beckwick Alien. It was either when I turned off the air pillar, because I didn't know exactly how they worked at the time, and started an expanding zone of no oxygen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, I remember that. Or shortly after that, when I refused to stop messing with the air pillars, I got dumped onto the undead island by our warforged friend. I say friend in quotes. And had to survive with an NPC and my wits. The NPC didn't make it. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favorite Cerebek moment was when you took over an airship and crashed it into the Capitol building. That... (laughs) That was a good one. Airships can be used to solve a lot of problems. (laughs) All right. So now we'll jump now to the Rethi era. This covers Big Campaign 3 as well as Big Campaign 4. So this one exclusively kind of took place in the Rethi Empire, which is the ancient part of the setting that you're all listening to now. The game was a lot more focused, so the players never really left that area. Uh, The country was being led by nine wizards that after the attack of the monstrosities from big campaign 2 unleashed by zeldoric they became the rulers of the world in this game i tried to go more into the political side of things so those nine wizards eventually became constructed liches all the players started as illiterate and non-cleric casters were not really allowed as the nine now robot liches in the role of the new gods old gods being the heroes of the first campaign had gotten rid of all arcane and druidic casting as they were threats to their power. This is also where the nine houses start, which are now districts in the podcast. But at that time, you had each house tied to one of the liches. This is the age of where the Seekers were started. Uh, Originally, as a way to keep down the population and hunt mages, they were remade by Axis Arcani of House Darge to be a force of good. You all know Axis Arcani, as referenced in the current podcast, as being Saint Arcani, uh, referenced in the Winter Festivals. That character was played by Sean, who plays Fours. This is also the campaign where Tyfe Raylan started. Oh, I was going to say that the uh, the Arcani movie was referenced as well. Yes, in the movie referenced in the podcast, Jamak was the story of two players uniting the northern and southern houses after the fall of the nine robot gods. Uh, those characters were played by one of our good friends, as well as Sean. I think that covers three. Marshall, you played Typh Rayland in this one. What was your big campaign three favorite Typh moment? Um, let's see. So my big campaign three Typh moment, and actually a big part of big campaign three was the marks mm. that were available for the players. Uh, kind of a curse or boon. Oh, the curse yes. Curse of Zeldoric. So feeding in from big campaign two. Uh, there were still marks and corruption left over, tainted marks that showed up on the players from the monstrosities that attacked before. And each of these marks, I believe I had, oh geez, 26 of them? Yeah, something like that. I know we had to pull, we got to pull on a half a playing card deck. Yeah, yeah. So there's 26 different marks the players could get that offered certain powers at the exchange of corruption. Yes. One of the marks that Tyfe got um, was a mark that was transferable, basically. Um, you, If you killed someone, you got that mark. 
there was a few people that had that mark, but I think that was one of my favorite moments when the guy that had the marks like this, I need this to end. Who will do it? And I stepped up and stabbed him in the throat poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I believe at that time, Tyfe was a level one rogue. Level one or two, but yeah, it. He, um, I, I remember I said I stab him, and you say he grabs his throat. He starts gurgling and falls to the floor. <laughs> because <laughs> I did not stab well or plan for the stabbing um, <laughs> but it um, that that act kind of pushed Tyfe into his um, I don't want to say power hungry but yeah his, his quest for power now Big Campaign 4 also still part of the Rethi era um, the Empire no longer the Rethi Empire is now called the Dargeth Empire it started to spread across the world this campaign, we focused on the religious aspects between the now more tolerant Dargeth, no longer under the rule of their robot gods, and the fundamentalists that started their own country of Nova Soul that still believed in those gods even after the collapse of those liches. So clerics and paladins dedicated to what the ideal that those gods, that those wizards represented, and not them. I remember bringing into this game echoes of past monsters, a few more Far Realm influences, a couple dead gods. It was during this game that they freed the Corlean people and Lycals from their enslavement to the Kenzai, uh, which was a race of militant extraplanar atheists set on the destruction of the gods. Big Campaign 4 is where the Perpetuals come into play. This campaign, I did not play all the way through. I started a character, uh, Dorian Lastblade, who was, I think he was just a straight fighter. Oh, yeah, I do remember Dorian. Yeah, you uh, you knocked him out, ripped his arms off, and gave him golem arms at one point. Like uh, <laughs> like like Jax from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do remember <laughs> doing that to you. <laughs> um, it was fun, and the... Um, I don't know if it was a big part, but the the lost art of Gollum parts or um, was was a secret, and, and it was kind of an experiment to see if it would still work. That happened to Dorian. Mm, yes, yes. This theme kind of came across from the third campaign of the robot liches to bringing in kind of proto cybernetics through Gollum attachments. You got we got new players in this game too, didn't we? For definitely, we got another influx of new people that wanted to test out D&D and be part of the game. This was probably a lot easier back during the fourth game, <laughs> as there wasn't <laughs> as much lore to deal with, uh, but there was still already too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've done a good job, though, of condensing, uh, not, not condensing, but keeping each section kind of contained with, with hints of the history uh, coming through and, and ways to find out about it. It is a careful balance not to... Over season, I guess, the food. Make sure that flavors and hints of the past are still there, but that each game stands on its own. You didn't finish with Dorian, because as uh, as everybody who listens to this will understand, uh, life just gets in the way of D&D sometimes, which is totally reasonable and fine. It's just always a bummer. <laughs> it is a bummer. But I think we ended four with our players eventually defeating the mirror version of the wizard from the first campaign, Brecken Ferentane. They defeated the mirror god, Karbulathok. Sadly, this was at the cost of losing the world tree. 
to a sphere of destruction, basically a smaller version of the Jawbreaker Victor ripped apart. With the World Tree gone, this did start to mess with magic a bit and create a big scar in the plane that was eventually filled in with water from the river Styx that crystallized into the island of Thus. Uh, Thus, I believe, has been kind of casually mentioned in the podcast as just being a thing out there, but we haven't really explored or gotten into it. Yeah, I think it's been brought up once or twice. Let's see. Oh, yes. This is uh, Big Campaign 4 is where Sean's character, uh, Sindri, started a kind of uh, secret police within the Seekers that were severely anti-construct. I remember that, too. They didn't care for me at a certain point. <laughs> so Big Campaign 4 was really the the last solely magic before we started rolling into a little more technology-based things. Oh, I also want to say 4 is when we actually switched over to Pathfinder, wasn't it? Um, maybe, yeah, maybe 4, possibly 5. It was right around there. Yeah, because I want to say I want to say. Four four is when we switched over um because joe was running a pathfinder game and all around we really enjoyed those classes better we liked all the modifications and changes they did it just kind of felt a lot more fun to play than 3.5 not saying 3.5 or 3.0 were bad well 3.0 was a little bad <laughs> sorry sorcerer with your one class feature <laughs> sorcerers are great that they are yeah underpowered <laughs> This message brought to you by the Spontaneous Casting Gang. <laughs> a very different take on sorcerers from, from when John first uh, described his characters. <laughs> <laughs> sorcerers are the worst. But I'm I playing do. one other way. <laughs> um, so yeah, with the end of four, with magic being messed up, the world tree gone, we started to see the rise of more technology. And this gets us to the industrial era. This is Big Campaign 5, as well as Big Campaign 6. Both games I did not play in. Well, yes, both games I did not play in. Mm-hmm. For that, for that life reason we talked about. <laughs> Real life stuff. With the collapse of the world tree and messing with magic, we get to mm-hmm. Big Campaign 5 and 6, referred to as the Industrial Era. Um, this is where things start to pick up into the more modern setting we know now. We see the start of black powder weapons and larger industry, flying ships. Our players focused on trying to restore the annulus broken in Big Campaign 1 so that they could access the power of it to try to fix the world. It was an artifact that binds the universe together and is the crown of the Elder Gods that control the universe. This campaign dealt with Mechanus a lot more, a plane of law, or basically a planar law enforcement as well as them trying to return the world to what it was meant to be, a prison for the monsters the gods didn't want to deal with. This is where the Black Library was started by Matthias Black. And this is where also a player, using mythic-level psionic abilities, became the plane of information known as the Constant, which is our stand-in for the internet in Big Campaign 7. This also, the fifth campaign, this is where Mav joined us for the first time. Uh, He is the one who became the Constant. And you didn't play in 5, right, Marshall? No, I, I did not play in 5. I that real life stuff got in the way. Uh, I heard some about it. Definitely um, enjoy playing with its its um, what came from it with the constant and everything. Mm-hmm. But this one, the some of the 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 characters in this one had overall 
uh, lasting effects, which has is, is been good to see, good to know they dealt with Mechanus properly. Well, five, they were able to fight them back. Six is where they actually dealt with them. Oh, perfect. So five ended with them reforging the crown, and during a contested situation between players, as each one's trying to figure out a way to rewrite the universe for their own purposes, uh, Mav, our Dosh player, ended up giving all that power to the ranger, played by Sean, uh, making them into the living crown of the gods. Uh, much to the surprise of everyone at that moment. Uh, I want to say that was one of our bigger games. We had about 14 players. Uh, we had several new ones. We had a lot of people doing a lot of different things and a lot of groups kind of happening. Since it was a bigger game and with lots of groups, a lot of players kind of moved between groups as they went. Okay, that makes sense. That's big campaign fives when corporations were just kind of starting out, correct? Correct. This is where we see the start of Amon Banking, run by our hero from Big Campaign 3, Ty Freyland. But he really he really takes off in Big Campaign 6. 6 yes. is where the corporations really started to become a bigger thing. Amon's reach really starts to spread across the world as they buy up properties and they become kind of the default bank for most countries. We saw our heroes getting sponsored to adventure and bring back resources that could be exploited. All of this done under the barrier put there by Mechanis to lock the plane in so players weren't able to leave they also weren't allowed to become too powerful. Uh, Mechanus was aided in this by two of the Elder Gods, the Bishop, and his sister, the Rook. Uh, this campaign was limited to level 6 max. It was, a, it was an epic 6 game. Uh, the campaign had three groups of five players, but each one had their own storyline. One group stayed on the plane to fight Mechanus. Uh, another group traveled to the end of the universe to ask the Living Crown for help. And another group tried to take the fight to Mechanus. Uh, I put in this game, though that the players could find Mechanus gears to let them alter the rules of the universe based on which mantle they had. In meta terms, this means that they could gestalt, have two classes, or they could increase the level cap for everyone, or they can restart their levels but keep their abilities. Uh, the game took a very fun turn when Mav, at the time, used his abilities under the mantle of the banker uh, to declare that on plane... Everybody had to follow the same rules and laws. That meant that gods and inevitables and giant monsters and things, everybody was limited to the level the players were. So we had a lot of really interesting and fun fights. It ended up having a lot of interesting side effects that I don't think I had considered, or the players had considered at the time. This game ended with them defeating the Rook and the Bishop, as well as the group that went after Mechanus, eventually found the four horsemen, took their mantles, and fulfilled an angelic prophecy of why their plane was originally shut down and blocked away by the gods in the first place. As the horsemen of the apocalypse rode across Mechanus, destroying, well, destroying Mechanus. So no longer bound by weird planar laws, with their magic kind of messed up, with the elder gods dead, and them having now being able to access and use the new plane they made, the constant, uh, we see ourselves now advance to Big Campaign 7, the Constant Era. And this is where the podcast takes place. This is when I came back into Lane. And this game this game ran a little bit differently than any game we've done before. Uh, the home side of this game, I ran in kind of a more Western Marches style. Um, we had about 20 players, and I would post, hey, there's a mission coming up. They need between four to six people. Whoever can show up goes. 
but I also kept track of who had played last and who hadn't. So people who hadn't played got priority over those who had. The theme of that game was a lot more uh, the players working as Men in Black or the organization that had Hellboy, uh, kind of working behind the scenes to stop new planar threats that arose, uh, strange technologies, weird monsters, things of that nature. I think something maybe a little bit like Nerve from Evangelion. Yes, that that makes yes that makes that makes a lot of sense because it was it was different um, being part of a unified group like this where we all had I mean we all worked for the same person or the the same group as opposed to like big campaign two and three where we were individual groups and kind of crossed over and kind of connected with each other. But one group's goals didn't necessarily line up with another group's goals all the time. And so it's this era where the podcast takes place on kind of the ground level of a world dealing with that fallout and having those secret organizations, the giant corporations. As I said before, the constant has taken the place of the Internet. Uh, With magic messed up, innovation and technology have started to assert magic, and the corporations have replaced the gods in a lot of ways. This, I think, was my longest-running game. And with my with the most amount of players, yeah, it had three seasons to it as well. Yeah, yeah, three three seasons covering the organization Prism as they fought big monsters before eventually being shut down by the corporations to becoming more of a uh, clandestine group that was still trying to save the world, but also deal with the political ramifications of becoming an outcast. Our goodwill got shot. Yeah. I think catches us up on pretty much the last seven games and kind of how we got here. As far as right now, the podcast is going to be set in the constant era. Uh, but our home game is now currently set in Big Campaign 8. Uh, but that's something I can talk about maybe in the future. That's uh, another game that I am playing in again. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we missed? Anything else you can think of? Um, trying to think of the big... The, the big things, the swaths, anything that may have um, affected the world and and what, what has come up. But without going into too much of BC7, I think we are caught up with 1 through 6. Cool. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything else at the moment. Maybe people have questions about what they've heard. Yeah, of course, if any listeners want more info on anything, you can hit us up on Twitter at BigCampaignPod. Or if you want to bug Forrest, he's the one in charge of the Big Campaign Podcast on the Instagram. Thank you all for sticking around through this giant pile of lore dump. Hope you liked it, Chappie. And a giant thank you to Marshall for being my co-host on this one. You are very welcome, and I will happily come back anytime. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to like, review, rate, subscribe, all that stuff. And of course... Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music is by Nihilor. The track's name is Aberration. Alright, bye!